But first, a pretty significant milestone for the Army. After years of development and multiple delays, the service's new integrated pay and personnel system went live last week. The National Guard has been using IPPSA since 2020, but this release marks the first time all three components of the Army have been on the same IT system for both their pay and their personnel functions. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has the latest on the Army's more than $1 billion IT investment and what the brass say it'll mean for soldiers. The Army has been talking about what eventually became IPSA for at least a decade, and development has been underway since the Army signed its first contract in 2015. The goal all along has been to consolidate dozens of IT systems and paper-based business processes into a single electronic system that serves the active Army, Army Reserve, and the Army National Guard, giving each soldier a single electronic HR record that follows them throughout their career. General James McConville, the Army Chief of Staff, says the service thinks it's finally achieved that. First time we'll have all three components on one system, which allows you to do a whole bunch of things. You know, we, we can start managing people by their knowledge, skills, behavior, and preferences. And you can move from an industrial age personnel management system to a 21st century talent management system. And oh, by the way, if and many of you are working with our younger folks, is they want us to compete for their talent. And so we'll be in a much better place to get the right people in the right place at the right time. But all these things are hard. If it was easy, it would have been done a long time ago. And besides giving the overall Army better insights into all the data it holds about each individual soldier, the system is meant to give soldiers themselves more insights into what the Army knows or thinks it knows about them. Sergeant Major Gary Kreese, the senior enlisted advisor for IPSA's Functional Management Division, says having all pay and personnel functions in a single modern system with self-service capabilities will let soldiers see where each of the transactions that affect their careers or their paychecks currently stand. Well familiar with those unfortunate stories about lost personnel action requests and untimely records updates, uh, the system does provide much needed efficiency, transparency, and accountability. Uh, soldiers will have and do have the ability uh, to view their own record, view their own personnel actions, uh, even using a mobile app uh, to have that real-time knowledge of where their personnel actions are at, right? And, and I think we understand as soldiers, as humans, um, you know, they have things going on at home, they have things going on with their career, and sometimes when you submit those personnel actions, you submit those records updates and you don't really know where they are, that can cause a soldier or their family to be uneasy. Uh, so we're really excited that IPSA does provide that opportunity of transparency and have, so a soldier does understand exactly where their actions are at, you know, whether that's with a commander, an S-1, or even a higher approving authority. We do believe uh, that the day of the lost blue folders are gone. All that said, Army officials say they're clear-eyed about the fact that there are going to be growing pains, especially in the first few months. To launch the current version, Release 3, the Army and its vendors had to consolidate and translate data from numerous legacy systems. Colonel Rebecca Eggers, the Functional Management Division's director, says the Army had to work hard to ensure all the data makes a clean transition, but there are bound to be problems. It's a bit different than some of our other software systems in that we're not simply replacing a one-for-one -one system um, with IPSA. So we've taken multiple systems across the components and combined their data into one. And in many cases, you know, we've taken multiple data fields from all of those systems and put them into a single data field in IPSA. Um, and to further complicate things, you know, soldiers could have had records in multiple legacy systems. So we had to sort through all of that, which has taken a bit of time. And then just with every software implementation, um, you know, we are seeing some of the data that might not be quite right, and we're, we're committed to making those corrections as soon as we find them. Um, 
We've got a great team that is supposed to handle all of those issues um, and have been working really hard. Officials initially planned to roll out IPSA to the entire Army in December of 2021. At that point, officials decided they needed another nine months to ensure it was ready for prime time. But then last October, they announced yet again that the full deployment would be delayed by another several months. Stress tests and soldier feedback revealed more problems that needed to be solved. But eventually, just before the Christmas holiday, the Army deployed the current release to its HR workforce so they could start familiarizing themselves with the system and record personnel events that happened after the Army's legacy pay-in personnel systems were turned off. Eggers says that work was finished just prior to the system's full deployment last week. When we were getting ready for the brownout, um, we did provide a guide for HR professionals on, um, we called it the priorities of work. So it was the items that in the transactions that we knew would have to be done first in order to make sure that the system was ready for the promotions processes that automatically run and the accountability process that automatically runs. So there are six, a list of 16 items that had to be done, arrivals and departures for soldiers. We had to make sure that anybody flagged um, or unflagged, that was taken care of. So the scale really depended on the unit. So again, it was really just tied to what happened during that six-week brownout. So most of that work is done already by the HR professionals, and the last bit is um, getting all of the folks that needed to be placed on assignment or have an assignment from the brownout, making sure that assignment is in IPSE. And for that HR workforce, aside from learning new processes and working out kinks related to data quality and system performance, IPSE raises some longer-term questions about the day-to-day work roles of HR professionals. Under the legacy systems, for example, they spent a not insignificant amount of time manually transferring data from one system to another, or, as you heard earlier, keeping track of blue folders. IPSA will change their day-to-day responsibilities over the long run, and the Army is not quite sure what that means yet. But there are no immediate plans to downsize the HR workforce. It's more likely that a similarly sized workforce will just be using different skill sets. Lieutenant General Douglas Stitt is the Army's Deputy Chief of Staff for Personnel. I think... We can utilize IPSA as a start point to start to envision our HR professionals maybe not being reactive but being proactive because we don't have to go out and find the data. We have the data so we can better, you know, anticipate a commander's decision. You know, how many people do we have in the formation? Well, we can answer that on the spot. But also, let's get into the details of who makes up that how many, what kind of skills do they have. You, you can start to envision out driving, you know, some of the commander's decisions from a more proactive vice potentially reactive environment that we're in right now. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, Visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest 
lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints, uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know take a look at it and see, see you know throw send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your this child away. Don't don't you know, and, and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever, and and you know that you know just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit, uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded 
you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yep. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, it, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.